Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number three of Joel chapter one. And we're going to be reading Joel one verses seven through 13. He has laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He has made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah. The priests, Jehovah's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. For the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, how, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. And I'll stop reading there. Now, this chapter, Joel chapter 1, is a historical judgment of God upon Israel of old. And also, it spiritually points to God's judgment on the New Testament churches and congregations at the time of its end, when the church age comes to a close and God begins judgment at the house of God. And that is the time of the Great Tribulation. It also begins the period of time the Bible identifies as the end. And so we see in God's judgment both upon Israel and upon the New Testament church, a focus on the ruination of the harvest, of the crops, the fruit within Israel, and the church is perished. It, it, is, it is destroyed. And the reason for this is because the Lord is teaching that once a body, a corporate body like national Israel or like the New Testament churches and congregations, once they come under the judgment of God and God ends the relationship that he had with them and they no longer are his representatives, they no longer are the outward uh, representation of the kingdom of God to the people of the world, well, then God stops blessing and using them to uh, bring in individuals uh, unto salvation. Or the gospel that was in their midst, the gospel that they were caretakers of, is removed from them. The, the Holy Spirit uh, leaves Israel and Israel uh, no longer has people within it that are becoming saved. The Holy Spirit leaves the church, and the church no longer has people within it 
that are becoming saved. Now, God still saved Israelites who uh, he would draw out of the religious system of Israel after uh, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And God still saved people in the churches uh, by drawing them out of the church during the time uh, in which judgment came upon the house of God. And it's not saying that God couldn't still save a Jew or save someone who is involved with a church at that time that he was drawing them out and they would become saved outside of the congregation. But within Israel and within the church, this is the spiritual situation. There is no fruitfulness. There is no salvation taking place. And we saw that uh, here in Joel 1, the Lord referred to his plan. Uh, It's an ancient plan to raise up a nation to come against his people in order to bring judgment upon them. And historically, it pointed to the Babylonians coming against Judah. And spiritually, it points to the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom coming against the church. And speaking of that, in verse 7, He has laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He has made it clean, bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Now, we discussed laying the vine waste and barking the fig tree. But just to review quickly the last part of verse 7, He has made it clean, bare, and cast it away, and branches thereof are made white. And when you you bark a tree, you take off its protective coating, and uh, it, it does look bare. Uh, if you've ever peeled bark off of a branch, and, and afterwards it, it's nice and white and uh, smooth, it, it looks like skin. It looks like bare skin. And the idea here is that the nakedness, the spiritual nakedness of those within the churches and congregations is, is showing itself that their, their protection was God, the Holy Spirit, in the midst of them. Once the Holy Spirit came out of the midst, well, now they have no protection. As a corporate entity, a corporate body, their their sins are naked and exposed unto God, who overlooked them as long as the Holy Spirit was there. But now he can no longer overlook. He must visit the congregation for their sin. And this is what's in view. In Jeremiah chapter 49, it says of Esau in verse 10, Jeremiah 49 verse 10, But I have made Esau bare, I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled, and his brethren and his neighbors, and he is not. So Esau is made bare, uncovered his secret places so he cannot hide. And that's the idea with what God is saying concerning Israel of old and the New Testament church that when judgment begins at the house of God, the the fig tree is barked, made clean bare. 
and the sins of the congregations are exposed to the eyes of God. Well, let's go back to Joel and move on to verse 8. Joel 1 verse 8 says, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Lament, the Hebrew word translated as lament, is found only here. It's Strong's number 421 in the Old Testament. This is the only place that word is found. But it so happens to be identical in spelling, and it's an identical word to Strong's number 422 and Strong's number 423. 422 is swear, and 423 is oath, which is similar to swear. Uh, 423 is also translated as curse. Now we'll, we'll just go to one, one verse to see how 422 is used. In Jeremiah chapter 23, it says in verse 10, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of swearing the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. So, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. If we substitute swear or take an oath, it it's difficult to understand. And I don't know if I do understand this word, but... Uh, I think the translators struggled with it, and that's why they translated it as lament, especially in this context as um, it, it, it actually says a little further on in verse 13, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. And it, it's a grievous situation for Israel, and it's a very serious situation. And perhaps that's why God uses this word that identifies with swear or take an oath. Well, anyway, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Now, sackcloth, we find, of course, many places in the Bible. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah 4 and verses 7 and 8. It says, The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. Now that matches the um, spiritual picture of Joel 1, where, uh, remember in the previous verse, verse 6, For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he is the cheek teeth of a great lion, and the lion coming up from his thicket is Satan. He is the destroyer of the Gentiles who is on the way. And it goes on to say in Jeremiah 4, 7, He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. And then it says in verse 8, For this gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl. For the fierce anger of Jehovah is not turned back from us. It is the judgment of God upon 
the people called by his name, the, the churches and congregations of the world. Therefore, you, you should put on sackcloth. You should be lamenting and howling and weeping and crying out to God. That should have been the reaction and the response of those in authority in the churches, in the congregations, the pastors and the elders and the deacons, once they heard the news that the the judgment of God was upon the house of God, that God's judgment was on the church and the church age was over, once they heard these things, they they should have, if responding properly, responding humbly as people of God, they should have begun crying out to God, Oh, oh Lord, oh Father, oh God, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, spare the people within the congregations. What should we do? What is it that you would have us to do? And very humbly and meekly submitted themselves to the will of God. They ought to have gone to the Bible in a desperate search to see if those things were so. After all, just take a look at the condition of the churches and congregations and look at what's going on within the churches. At the time, the news came forth that Satan was loosed and Satan had entered in and taken his seat as the man of sin. And this was all done at the will of God. God was the one using Satan to bring judgment on the churches. The, the judgment of God had begun on the house of God for their unfaithfulness. And, and so anyone with eyes in their head should have looked at the condition of the churches and and what would they have seen? A church that has turned the true gospel into another gospel, perverted the grace of God and made it into works. A church that uh, failed on so many points that that brought destruction to the marriage institution by um, teaching that divorce was permissible. A church that was allowing women to gain ascension into the pulpit and to preach and to teach. And on and on and on in doctrine after doctrine after doctrine. And rather than proudly, arrogantly, stubbornly saying, oh, we're the people of God. God would never forsake us. God would never leave us. Oh, no, we're we're the church that Christ established and will always be here. And that proud, arrogant reaction caused the New Testament churches not to look at themselves, not to do a search to see if they had done wrong and to see if their doctrines needed correction. Uh, and, and no, they, they didn't bother. They, they just, uh, again, assumed that all was well between them and God. God is pleased with them, and they were the people of God. And, and they failed to learn 
from the historical example of national Israel, who likewise stood in a works relationship role between themselves and God. It's only the individual believer that stands by grace, that uh, has all sin forgiven at the point of salvation, all past, present, future sin is forgiven the individual person. That's the grace of God. That is not how God deals with corporate bodies or entities. It is not how he dealt with national Israel. They were responsible to maintain faithfulness to the commandments of God or else. That's a works relationship. And they did not maintain faithfulness. And the or else came. God judged them. He rent the veil of the temple in twain and ended the relationship with Israel. Likewise, the New Testament churches stood in the exact same way. God commanded them certain commandments they were to uphold. And if they failed to do so, the judgment of God would come upon them. That's why God points out the sins of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And it's why he says he gave space for the church to repent in Revelation 2.20. But once they failed to repent, then they were cast into a bed of great tribulation. And, and that is the judgment began. And the space was nearly 2,000 years. It was 1,955 years before God came to visit to see if they had turned from their iniquity. And there was no turning, no repentance, and no reaction from the ministers, from the priests, from the pastors and and the shepherds over the flock when they heard that the judgment of God was upon them. They, they did not do what God is saying here. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. They failed to do this. It was only the true believers who took the warning seriously and turned to the scripture and God uh, drew them out. And uh, of course, it was a tremendous blessing to the people of God to leave the churches because, uh, again, Joel 1 is describing the spiritual condition of the churches, their fruitlessness, their uh, ruined harvest. Spiritually, it's a a devastated land. Well, uh, let's also go to Jeremiah 6. Uh, Jeremiah 6 and verse 22 through 26. It says, Thus saith Jehovah, Behold, a people cometh from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea. And they ride upon horses set in array as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us and pain as of a woman in travail. Go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way. For the sword of the enemy 
and fear is on every side. Then the next verse, verse 26, says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. And here we have similar language to the daughter of my people. It is said, gird thee with sackcloth, and make thee mourning as for an only son. Now, our verse says, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. And it's not an only son, but we can see by both of these illustrations that God is uh, teaching just how bad things really are spiritually within the churches. It is uh, about as grievous a situation as you can imagine. It is like um, a, a woman losing her only son, or it is like a virgin that has lost the husband of her youth. It's a terrible spiritual situation. And the book of Lamentations uh, goes into much detail describing the awfulness of God's judgment upon his own people. In Lamentations chapter 2, it says, beginning in verse 9, Lamentations 2, and uh, verse 9, Her gates are sunk into the ground, He has destroyed and broken her bars, her king, and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from Jehovah. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled, my liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the suckling swoon in the streets of the city. And it just goes on with that kind of language throughout the entire book of Lamentations. And it is a lament for the uh, grievous judgment of God that came upon his own people. And, and, uh, Joel, uh, one verse eight is picking up on, on that same idea. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. And then it says in verse nine, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah. The priest, Jehovah's ministers mourn. Now someone asked me, how can we tell that Joel one is focused on the church, that it's describing the great tribulation and not the judgment at the end of the world or the judgment upon the world. And the reason is because there's constant references to priests, to ministers, uh, to the house of Jehovah, as we have here in in verse 9. Also, um, in verse 13, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar, 
Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. And the house of God, of course, was the Old Testament temple, but it spiritually points to the New Testament churches and congregations. Remember, that's the very language that God uses in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And Peter is one of the apostles. And when the Lord uh, moved the apostle Peter to write First Peter, well, it was well after Christ had gone to the cross. It was well after the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And the worship in Jerusalem was, was, uh, it, it was no longer the place for the people of God to worship. And, and so when, uh, the Lord is moving Peter to speak of judgment beginning at the house of God, it's not speaking of the temple. It's not speaking of the, the house in Jerusalem, but it's speaking of the house that would typify the New Testament churches and congregations. Judgment begins at the church. That's when the final judgment will begin to take place, and it did. The church age ended after 13,000 years, exactly 13,000 years of history, in uh, 1988, on the date of May 21, the day before Pentecost, because the church age began on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD and continued that 1955 years before Pentecost would come again to sort of renew the age of the church another year. God ended the church age the day before May 21, 1988, and uh, it, it, uh, it, it brought or began the judgment period at the house of God. And here in Joel 1 verse 9, God makes reference to the meat offering and the drink offering being cut off from the house of Jehovah. And we can definitely understand it is teaching us of something being cut off from the church during the time of the Great Tribulation. And what is it? Well, Let's look up, first of all, what the meat offering is. Now, the meat offering in English is two words, but it's really a translation of one Hebrew word, Strong's number 4503, which is often translated simply as offering, when an offering would be made, a sacrificial offering. It's also translated as present or gift a couple of times, present is, for instance, when Esau was coming to meet Jacob as Jacob fled from Haran with his young family, and Jacob was fearful, so he sent presents ahead to Esau. And and that's the same word translated as meat offering or offering in other places. And 
it's used, for instance, back in Genesis chapter 4. This is Strong's 4503, translated as meat offering. And we find it three times in Genesis 4. And I'll, I'll read beginning in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from Jehovah. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass. Now let me just stop there, because if you look into the interlinear Bible, you'll see that process of time uh, can rightly be translated as end of days. And, and in the end of days it came to pass. And that's significant because it helps us to understand that it's always been God's plan. From the very beginning, uh, Cain and Abel are children of Adam and Eve, so it's right at the beginning of the creation of this world, and not too long after, that God sets up this situation between Cain and Abel, and as a result of what's going to happen, Cain will slay Abel. And spiritually, the Lord relates this event to things that will take place in the end of days. And as I just mentioned, the end of the church age came in the 13,000th year of Earth's history, and that began the time of the end. And in the end of the church age, God separated the wheat from the tares, the elect from the non-elect, the Abel's from the Cain's. And so what we read here has relationship to that. Genesis 4.3 In the end of days it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Jehovah said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And it goes back to the offering that they both made. Now, first of all, uh, the Lord had to have made it known that he desired an offering, and both sons of Adam and Eve brought an offering. Now, some theologians say that Cain's offering was not acceptable because it did not involve the shedding of blood. If we look closely at the offering, it does say of Cain in Genesis 4-3 that he brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah. Abel, in verse 4, brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. 
And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and his offering, but not unto Cain. And to his offering, God did not have respect. Well, um, no, that's not true. It's not correct. It had nothing to do with the type of offering. As we'll see, uh, as we continue to look up the meat offering, uh, uh, or offering, that various types of offerings could be offered, and they were all acceptable. God's the one who specified what was to be offered, and they were not always animal sacrifices. There there could be offerings of the fruit of the ground. It, it's a very fine offering of itself. Well, what's the problem then? Well, if we go to 1 John... God refers to this early um, slaying of of Abel by Cain in 1 John chapter 3. It says, in beginning in verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? That is, why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. And that's the answer. That's the solution to why God had respect to Abel and his offering, and yet had not respect unto Cain and his offering. Because Cain's works were evil, and Abel's works were righteous. Well, does that mean that God justified Abel on the basis of good works? Well, remember the Bible tells us in Galatians 2.16, no man is justified by works in the sight of God. And that's where Cain failed because God made it known and impressed upon early man, the sons of Adam, that offerings were necessary and it related to their sin since man had fallen into sin there must be some sort of satisfaction made to an offended God. Therefore, offer up a sacrifice to him. And as God made that known, Cain responded by bringing of the fruit of the ground. Cain grew fruit of some kind and brought a portion to God. Here is my offering. This is what you have requested of me, this is what you have made known that you desire in relationship to my sin. And then Cain trusted in the work of the bringing the offering. This is what will justify me in God's sight. This offering is what will make me right with God once again. God wanted an offering, I have brought an offering, I have satisfied God. And that was an evil work, because he 
wrongly thought that he could be justified by his own work. Abel, on the other hand, also learning that God was angry with man because of man's sin, that the angry God demanded appeasement through sacrifice, an offering must be made, and Abel slew his flock, the the firstlings of his flock, and brought it to God as an offering. Now, if Abel had thought as Cain did, that the act of the performance of the offering, that Abel's slaying of the sheep or whatever it was, and and offering that animal sacrifice to God, it was what would justify him, that would have been an evil work. But Abel was a child of God. He was righteous because God saved him. And God also, therefore, opened up Abel's eyes to understand and to see that, well, this animal cannot justify me. This offering, this work that I'm doing, certainly can never justify me before God. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And God is instructing me through this that the Savior is God himself and and he trusted in the work of Christ, the Messiah, who had already at that early stage of, of world history performed the work of being the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the Lamb, Christ, was already slain and had already died for the sins of his people, for Abel's sins, before the world began, and so Abel could trust the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ that that he had done on his behalf. And, and so when Abel offered his offering, his works were righteous because he wasn't trusting in his own work. He was trusting in the work or the faith of Christ, which justified him. And, and so there... The offering we see is a fruit offering, and it's also uh, an offering of an animal sacrifice. And both are acceptable, and both are the same Hebrew word that's translated meat offering. And and so it could be either or, uh, it, it, that doesn't matter. Well, let's also turn to um, Leviticus. And I'll just read a couple of verses here. Uh, that this w- word for offering or meat offering is used many times in Leviticus 2. And it says in Leviticus 2, beginning in verse 1, And when any will offer a meat offering unto Jehovah, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. Well, there, there again a meat offering which is of flour. And it goes on to say in verse 2, And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Jehovah. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be as Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy 
of the offerings of Jehovah made by fire. And then it, it, it's also found in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, meat offering, meat offering, meat offering. If, if you want to learn more about it, read uh, those verses. I'll, I'll pick up again in verse 12 of Leviticus 2. As for the oblation of the first fruits, he shall offer them unto Jehovah, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the, of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. If thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto Jehovah, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn, dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears, and thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering. And so uh, corn also can be part of the meat offering. And when we look at this word, we see it has everything to do with the sacrificial system that God instituted and and had Israel follow. The meat offering was an integral part of the sacrifices. And for um, God to say in Joel 1, cut off the meat offering from the house of Jehovah. Well, that is a... A very serious thing to say. That's saying cut off the sacrifices. And th- those sacrifices pointed again and again to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you cut off the meat offering in the days of Israel, it was as though you were, you were taking the Messiah away. Uh, because every offering, every sacrifice pointed to the Messiah to Christ. And, and that's exactly what God was spiritually declaring that Christ was to be cut off from the house of Jehovah. And again, uh, as Israel pointed to the church, it was language that was indicating that the Lord Jesus Christ would be coming out of the midst of the congregations the Holy Spirit would leave and abandon the churches. They would be turned over to Satan. It, it, it's really a horrible thing. Let's just look at another verse concerning meat offering because it's. Um, I, I, I thought it was interesting in the place it's found in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, we read of the 70 weeks of Daniel 9, and we know how God has used these 70 weeks to give a time path, a biblical time path. People who say that time paths are not biblical haven't read the Bible because God himself gives the the time path in Daniel 9 uh, when he says 70 weeks are determined upon thy people in verse 24. And and then he gives a starting point, and then he instructs how many weeks to go into the future, and they lead to the cross. And from the cross, the time path actually carries throughout the whole church age. And in Daniel 9.27, it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, 
He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation. That's the word translated as meat offering or offering. He shall cause the sacrifice and the meat offering to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, Daniel 9, verse 27, when it speaks of the midst of the week, it's referring to to the middle of the 70th week. We'd have to go through the whole thing to see how that is, but that's that's what it's referring to. And in the midst of the week, which would point to the three-and-a-half-year ministry, as three-and-a-half is half of seven and a week is seven, the three-and-a-half-year ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the conclusion of Christ's ministry at the end of three-and-a-half, Christ went to the cross. And in the midst of the week, he caused sacrifice and meat offering to cease. This is a historical reference to what will take place in the future once the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross, the sacrificial system of national Israel would come to a close. All the sacrifices, all the meat offerings would cease to be offered, or as far as God was concerned, they would cease any uh, legitimacy because they were only in place to point to the Messiah. The Lord Jesus came to demonstrate and and to show uh, what all the sacrifices were pointing to. He he was the the tableau. His life, just as the sacrifices were designed to teach of what Christ had done from the foundation of the world, while Christ finally, in in entering into the human race, came to illustrate in in an unmistakable way the things that he had done in paying for the sins of his people before the world began and from the, the foundation of the world. And, and so therefore the sacrifices were no longer necessary to teach these things, to instruct these things, God ended uh, all sacrifice once Christ went to the cross in the midst of the week. Now, the last half of the 70th week uh, is picked up with language that we find in the book of Revelation uh, that that speaks of the, the 1260 days, the woman after the man-child uh, ascended up into heaven, and that would have been uh, right after the cross, then the woman flees into the wilderness for 1260 days where she's nourished by God. And, and that's three and a half, three and a half years, which typifies the, the period of time after the cross. Well, uh, we see how God can speak of cutting off the, uh, meat offering and the drink offering. And, and that's one aspect we haven't looked at. The historical truth of that, as it did happen to Israel, once Christ went to the cross, the meat offering was literally cut off from them as as God ended his relationship with Israel. But again, 
Joel 1 is focused on, on more than that, uh, as it also focuses on um, the judgment on the church, which will come at the time of the end. Well, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off. Let's just quickly look at drink offering. Um, we find in Numbers 28, Numbers 28, that there's references made to the drink offering in the first couple of verses. And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire for a sweet savor unto me, shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto Jehovah, two lambs of the first year without spot day by day, for a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer it even." and a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of a hin of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice by fire unto Jehovah. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hin for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto Jehovah for a drink offering. And the other lamb shalt thou offer it even, as the meat offering of the morning, and as the drink offering thereof. Thou shalt offer it, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto Jehovah. So the drink offering is related to strong wine. And and we know how wine relates to the gospel, as God uses wine as a figure of the gospel. And... That's what's in view when we read of the meat offering, the sacrifice, and the drink offering. It's all related to, it all revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice. And, of course, the shedding of his blood is the gospel, the gospel message that brought salvation to sinners. And... It is cut off from the house of Jehovah. And in reaction, the priest, Jehovah's ministers, mourn. Well, we'll have to pick this up again when we uh, get together in our next study in the book of Joel. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.